You're listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We'll be joined by experts who will help us understand current issues and resources available to those diagnosed with blood cancer. Holidays and, you know, those things are, are, mean so much more now than they did prior to cancer entering our lives. This may potentially be a cure for some patients. We'll also be speaking with patients and caregivers who will share their cancer journey with us to better understand life after diagnosis and let you know you're not alone. Beforehand, my job was to earn a living for my family. My wife said to me, your job now is to live. And that's what I'm doing. I'm living my life the way I want to live it. And I'm really enjoying it. It's a much more fulfilling life. Everything that I knew, I didn't know anymore. That defense mode. We're survivors. Like... But they're probably not the questions that you want answered. So, yeah, writing them down for us is important because of our chemo brain. Let's get started. Welcome to the Bloodline with LLS. I'm Alicia, and I'm Lizette. Thanks so much for joining us today. November is Caregiver Awareness Month, and here at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, we use this month to acknowledge those who have offered themselves selflessly to their loved ones in hopes of providing comfort and support. Caregivers can oftentimes get overlooked as the patient's concerns remain a top priority. However, we recognize that it is important to show caregivers that they are appreciated for their patience and kindness within their role. For those listening who are caregivers, we here at the LLS would like to thank you for working tirelessly for those you love. On today's episode, we'll be speaking with Dr. Marnie Amsalem about the needs and concerns of many caregivers. Dr. Amsalem is a clinical psychologist who specializes in working with patients and caregivers who are adjusting to cancer and other health-related challenges and or are looking to build their coping skills and resilience. She also consults with hospitals, nonprofit organizations, and corporations, conducting research on many aspects of the patient and caregiver experience of cancer. Additionally, she writes on these and other patient-focused topics in numerous publications shared on her website, www.smarthealthpsych.com. Dr. Anselm, thank you so much for joining us again on this podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so happy to be on the program today. As I mentioned earlier, caregiving is such an important role. They either come into it expectedly or it's thrust upon them based on, you know, just a sudden diagnosis. At some point, we'll all become caregivers. That is the reality. That is, that is true. At some point, we will all become caregivers. What is the biggest concern for caregivers from those that you have spoken with or have had, you know, have come into your office? It is a very unique experience in many ways, yet also there are so many commonalities. The commonalities can include not attending to your own needs because you are focused so much on providing care or the well-being of the person that you are caring for or the other responsibilities that you have in in life. So a very common experience is, is feeling overwhelmed as a caregiver. That can happen over time. It can certainly also happen immediately as well, but certainly it's a cumulative experience that many caregivers share. There also can be a lot of emotional experiences that are shared by caregivers, such as feeling guilt, perhaps that they're not doing enough, or 
that, you know, I, I took this time to do this for myself. I, sh I shouldn't, you know, what if I was needed or, you know, how, how selfish of me to be eating a steak when my loved one can't do that right now. Right. So there are, I, you know, I hear those a lot as well. There are so many rewarding aspects of caregiving as well. So that is also a very common experience that I think caregivers have. But as far as um, biggest concerns, it, it can be how to balance all of the competing needs that they have going on and being supportive to the person that they're caring for, as well as attending to their own needs. Right. You're a caregiver in so many different ways, I guess, because then there's, you know, helping your loved one with daily activities, such as getting to the doctor or preparing meals, but then helping a person cope with feelings that may come up during this time. And it's, it's kind of figuring out how to be that caregiver for both sides. There are very instrumental, very practical responsibilities, and, and these might change over time. It might be that, you know, you're usually the driver or the person that's cooking dinner, getting the groceries, organizing everything, running the household, but at other times you are, you feel like your role is primarily being the rock or the information gatherer or, you know, or the, the communicator, right? The, that person who's basically the message center for the entire extended family. So there is a whole gamut of roles that a caregiver can play and, and they may fluctuate over time. Alicia and I have been talking to a lot of caregivers lately. We are trying to provide more resources for caregivers here at LLS knowing that they too are going through this cancer journey. And some caregivers have told us that they, they love the word caregiver they just think that it's a it's a great term for them and they embrace it and then we've had caregivers that say i don't like the word caregiver i i just i i'm caring for somebody who i love and that's it have you come across so many individualized ways to interpret the word caregiver Absolutely. I think that a single term can mean different things to so many different people and have different implications. You know, slightly tangential, I hear the same thing, and you probably do as well, about the term cancer survivor, right? Sure. So, you know, there's that term, that one word can trigger um, so many different things, both positive as well as apprehensive or, you know, very you know, hesitant to, to use that word. Um, and, and other people. So caregiver, right, for some, it, they might, that might strike a bit of discomfort because they said, of course, I'm, this is my, this is what I would be doing. This, this loved one of mine is going through something huge and it doesn't, it doesn't even cross my mind. It's automatic that I would be doing these things. Whereas others might find comfort in the fact that, well, there's recognition, right, that they are providing care, that they do have a role, that this is a very important thing that they're doing. You know, it's not just one thing. So a lot of people do find that being a caregiver, you know, having that identity as a caregiver with, with that term really helps define some of what they are doing and they see that as you know as a very important role and in, in their loved one's recovery as it as it absolutely is and it highlights the importance of what everything that they're doing for their loved one 
nobody can go through the cancer experience alone. So those that do not have supportive people in their lives, which of course there are many, it's that much more important for, for them to, of course, be reaching out to supportive services that, well, everybody can reach out to supportive services, but there are services that exist that can provide the support that caregivers, you know, who would be providing these, you know, these supportive services. If there are not caregivers in your life that you have around you, it is that much more important to be trying to seek out those types of services because it is all it's, it's basically part of that integrative care package that you'll need your health care team you'll need you know you'll need encouragement you might need rides you might need assistance with perhaps some support at home and it is the caregivers play such an incredible role in the support of their loved one Right. For my mother, if she was the, so my maternal grandmother is the one who was diagnosed with cancer. She was the, the main caregiver. There's no playbook for caregiving, so you have no idea how that's going to go. You figure it out as it comes along. I mean, especially when someone is working and then it becomes a caregiver. Mm-hmm. There's so many elements that get changed in their lives. And my, my mom got the most admiration from, from my, our entire family because we helped as much as we could, but she, of course, it being her mother, she did much more. And so having to you know, go to work and explain why she couldn't work a few days and why she'd come in late a few days. So there's so many ripple effects of caregiving and it expands into so many other areas of your life that you don't necessarily plan for. But it's, it's, it's one of those things, like you said earlier, it's different for every person, right? Absolutely. But if you, know, if you think about it in one way, right? We all have 24 hours in our day, right? What we do with that 24 hours varies from person to person, but let's say you're, you're in your routine and all of a sudden you assume this role of caring for a loved one, that is going to consume a lot of that time, even if instrumentally you're not doing a whole lot. You might be providing a ride on this day or reading up on some, some of the, the latest research on a particular type of treatment for your loved one or being the messenger for the extended family and, and talking to various relatives. But that ends up being, you know, a few hours out of your day, most days of the week. And so what that might compromise is, oh, that extra project at work that you'd, you'd be staying late to do that might end up turning into a promotion or, you know, something advancing. You might say, yeah, that's, that's just not an option or not a priority, or it might mean you're not going to the gym class after work etc. Or, uh, you know, taking that time to do something for yourself. So your free time now is, or, you know, in many cases, you said, you know, arriving to work a little bit late because of needing to attend some role of being a caregiver, that it, it does cut into your life and your identity, and it leaves a little bit less for you. Lizette and I were talking about the difference in culture when it comes to receiving the diagnosis and kind of the input of the family when it comes to the different cultures. She was speaking about her Puerto Rican background and how her family is very, very involved. And I was talking about, you know, my family is Jamaican, also Caribbean, and we're very, very, very involved. And, you know, we would all go to the doctor's appointments with her. And the doctor was saying, you know, yeah, and that varied depending on culture because that's just, I mean, of course, it's obvious that, you know, different people do different things. Now, how is the impact of culture on the needs of caregivers and how does that differ? 
I mean, that's very interesting. They're absolutely, as you're, as you're alluding to, you know, both from experience in your own lives and, you know, from hearing the experience of doctors who see this every day, there are absolutely are cultural differences, generally speaking, right? If you're from a particular culture, you're more likely to all show up versus, you know, a culture that might value individuality a little bit more or stigma around cancer, but how culture might impact how caregiving is experienced if it is a if it is a cultural value of yours that you are there for your loved ones for your community for your family if that is a cultural value then that will be a huge driver in how you approach your role as a caregiver now of course not everybody falls in line with whatever their cultural background you know typically is but it can be extremely challenging if you're wanting something that you're not receiving because of the values that are impacting the caregivers around you or you as a caregiver are are giving let's say you're someone you're a care recipient and your family is kind of hovering over you but you just want them to back off i hear this a lot (laughs) actually from patients but you also understand that saying that i need my i just want to go to this chemo appointment by myself that this is something that you need but you understand the offense that would be communicated from from you saying that so that can be a struggle so it's not always a match between what what the culture values you know how you were raised the meaning of it so that's where you know that's where it's important to understand the, the meaning but if if you're someone that would like more direct communication about something than is comfortable because of the culture you know, I know we're speaking, you know, primarily about regional and ethnic cultures here, but there's also the idea of family culture. Mm-hmm. So even, you know, even within a particular ethnic background, there could be the family culture of, oh, we don't, we don't talk about our problems, right? right? And, or one side of the family does, one side doesn't. And, you know, finding that right match for both the care recipient and the caregiver, you know, that can be challenging. And I think it's also important to, this is a nice segue into the idea of communication, because I think it's, it would be a disservice to, you know, to have this conversation about the important role of caregivers and the importance of understanding the caregiver experience without talking about the role of interpersonal communication. It can vary from, of course, person to person, but being aware of what the individual's needs are and communicating your own needs to those around you can make a huge difference. And of course, there's a lot of fears of offending relatives. Well, I don't want to say this because they're going to take it this way. And putting so much mental energy on anticipating what you think the outcomes will be that you might actually find that communicating whatever that concern was might be received a little better than you thought, or it might really be, you know, beneficial. Finding a way that the other person can hear it, you know, finding, finding that way to communicate it can be a challenge. And, you know, as a, as a psychologist, I do frequently talk with people about ways in which they can communicate things that, that they need to say. Well, I think it's very important just because we do get calls here from a lot of caregivers that want information. And we do find sometimes that the caregiver's thought of treatment or their goal of treatment for their loved one 
may actually be different than the goal of treatment that the patient wants. Right. So that's challenging also. Mm -hmm. Yes, some of the biggest psychosocial challenges of cancer involve having loved ones, you know, that, that perception of the loved ones understanding what goals are, what concerns are. Um, and it is a really hard thing to communicate. So I think those that are calling in to express their concerns, it can be really hard to find an outlet for that, right? If your usual outlet is the person that you have concerns about, right? How, how you are taught, you know, how you, how this particular issue is being resolved, you know, finding a safe, neutral person to, you know, to have that conversation can be hugely important. So that's fantastic that they are calling in. And of course that, that this is a resource available to them as well. That cannot be understated. And this is a very common experience, I think. I mean, communication is basically the cornerstone of effective care, right? For caregivers and patients and whether it be with each other or with other people that can, you know, that they can find that support from. So what are some skills for effective caregiver communication? Sure. And, you know, also back to your, to your comment right there, it's also the, the cornerstone of healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. So how you communicate can really determine, you know, the health of the relationship as a whole. And the more effective the communication is, that obviously has impact on the health of the relationship, which is very much related to overall distress that one is feeling, one and one is feeling that they're receiving positive support and, um, you know, versus a negative interactions that has huge impact on their experience distress, particularly related to cancer, cancer related distress. So in addressing these concerns, you're actually impacting your, you know, positively impacting the caregiver's emotional health as well. So how can they, how can caregivers effectively improve communication? It can be having, you know, getting in touch with what it is, what their concerns are. I think sometimes a very common pattern is for caregivers to put their own needs second to that of those around them, whether it be the care recipient, you know, the patient or those other relatives in their family, or if they're, let's say they're parenting young or, you know, younger children, the needs of, of their family or of, you know, how this other relative is, is reacting to, you know, to the other relative's cancer. So understanding what their own, you know, what the impact of the cancer, you know, the relative's cancer or their loved one's cancer on them can be huge. And then both recognizing it and then acknowledging it to the person that they, they're needing to, to share. If they're realizing, okay, this person's you know, this, the, the, the way in which this person's handling something is, is impacting me. I am going to communicate my experience to my loved one, you know, to this person and being honest and open while kind of owning that emotional experience themselves. It's kind of just generally good advice to communicate, in a, you know, something that's really challenging, like as far as an interpersonal dynamic, by saying, you know, I'm I'm feeling this way when this, you know, when this situation happens, versus saying you whine too much, right? So, so the person might hear it very differently if you're, you know, if you're using this this as we say I statements versus, you know, 
having, you know, accusing somebody of something. They're, they're much more open to hearing it when you're phrasing it as, as far as how it's affecting you. So I think those are very important techniques to think about. I think it's also important to think about how, you know, another person might be responding to, to the cancer themselves. It's everybody, everyone is, is affected by this person's cancer. Now, of course, it might not always be obvious, you know, how other relatives are. But if, if let's say there's a relative that seems to not be providing care, let's say it's, you know, several adult siblings and they're caring for a parent, but some siblings are seem to be absent and not checking in or provide, you know, doing really anything. It might be that they're, you know, that they're having a hard time with it. So I think having that, you know, having that honest conversation about, you know, the impact of all of this on everyone is versus just, well, you never do this. You're not helpful. You know, that can, the, the, the former can go a lot further than the latter. We do talk to a lot of caregivers that actually they don't say that they're caregivers because they feel that because they're not face-to-face on a daily basis with their loved one, that they're not providing care. And a lot of times we talk to them and they really are providing a lot of care. And since the world is such a smaller place now with technology, can you just talk a little bit about long-distance caregiving? Great question. The reality is that not all of us live close to those that we love. So it might be that we're in a situation that we are providing care from a distance. There are a lot of ways for caregivers who are remote to provide care long distance, aside from the obvious of traveling to where the care recipient lives or maybe taking a sabbatical from work and moving in with them and you know that which might not be realistic at all right you might not have a job if that if you know or be able to afford your you know you know so that might you know aside from that there are many ways in which care can be provided remotely for one thing there are there are many different roles that caregivers can assume there are the emotional support you know, roles, and that it does not matter where you are, right? You might not be able to physically give a hug, but you can provide emotional support, comforts, communicate love from anywhere, right? That does not need to, that can happen regardless of, you know, geographic proximity. There are the, uh, you know, informational support needs. Let's say the care recipient is needing to make a decision about whether to choose between two different treatment options or how to manage a particular side effect or they should be avoiding a certain food because of the medication that they're taking or, or you know, whatever the question is that arises, information can be gathered anywhere. So if there is a relative who prefers to be a little bit more instrumental in providing support in that capacity, that can be a phenomenal way in which a remote relative can provide that type of support. And it might be that that person who's driving them all over and taking them to doctor's appointments might not have the time to, to or the, you know, the, the resources to be doing it just then. So that's a great caregiver role that can be outsourced to somebody who is remote and, you know, feels that they can be useful that way because that is a very useful thing. There are, of course, ways to provide some of the day-to-day 
supportive roles from afar as well. And you have to get a little bit more, think a little bit more outside of the box when you think about this. But it might be that there's meals that need to be out on the table. Well, fortunately, we live in an age of meal delivery, so you could order a meal remotely, or you could hire a cleaning service to come clean the house if if your loved one is not able to, to you know to do that, or if that's seen as a a luxury or something that's not really you know that they wouldn't have done themselves. So you know to um, provide some sort of assistance from afar, even if you're not physically the one who is doing it, who is ringing the doorbell that is bringing the meal. There are a lot of different ways, and it is something that a lot of caregivers who are remote feel feel some guilt over, and it's, it is a reality of the way in which most of us live now. That's such good information. Thank you so much for that. Oh, you're welcome. So a lot of patients say that they feel a loss of control when they hear that they have cancer. And a lot of caregivers have also told us that that's how they feel, that once their loved one is diagnosed, they also feel that they don't have control over their life or their loved one's life. And that makes a big impact, especially someone like me that's a planner that feels like they need to be in control of everything for the future. How do you deal with that or how do you help people when they're feeling that loss of control? I mean, that is a huge part of adjustment, generally speaking. When we're faced with a situation that is out of our control, we can feel extremely helpless, frustrated, anxious, all sorts of really uncomfortable feelings. It is important to understand that this might very well be the reality and you have a choice, you know, you can either fight it or you can find some ways in which you can accept that this is the reality right now. And, you know, so finding acceptance in those things that are beyond your control at, the, at this point in time, right? There are always, you know, when it comes to coping, there's, there's elements in which we can, you know, control. Like if there's information we need, we can, okay, we can find that information. We can ask those questions. But if it's something where, you need, you know, you're going to be taking chemo and you will be not feeling like yourself right after, you know, right after a treatment, you know, finding some way in which you can psychologically accept those realities is going to ultimately be most beneficial for both the patient and caregiver and maybe, you know, make, make some plans. Okay. Well, you know, that day or two after you're already planning to, you know, not be at work or you know whatever whatever however you're arranging your lifestyle just making those plans but also psychologically understanding that this is part of the process in and you know making you better and helping you fight and building up your resources your physical health to get you back on the the road to recovery so you know opening yourself up to some acceptance for that which is you know beyond your control and those things that are in your control of okay okay you can control that you can put your feet up today and you know maybe listen to you know a really good podcast for example or or something like that <laughs> you can you can control those aspects of of your of your situation and maybe this can be an opportunity as a caregiver right you're both usually so busy or you haven't really taken the time to spend together you could watch a movie so, you know one of those movies that you think you and the caregiver 
would would love you know just kind of spend that time with them you know so there's there are ways to deal with that that uncertainty and the loss of control that is inherent in in hearing you know in, in dealing with cancer on another episode that we had where you spoke with us about mental and emotional health as it affects a patient who's diagnosed with cancer what is the mental health or how is the mental health affected or impacted for caregivers as well Cancer is something that affects everyone who's involved with the care recipient, essentially, friends, family, and loved ones and caregivers can absolutely have an emotional, of course, an emotional response to the cancer, but it can affect their more, you know, more generally can affect their emotional distress and health and can, you know, really kind of cross over into so many other areas of the caregiver's life. Some examples, of course, are if the caregiver is, you know, devoting so much more of their own resources toward caregiving, they might eventually be running themselves down, which of course can affect their overall energy level, their life satisfaction, their their satisfaction with their current life, and it can the the cancer, of course, can lead to you know trigger thoughts about. Well, will, will this person be around in X amount of time and lead to some fears that m- they might feel like they're not necessarily able to articulate or express to their loved one because they don't want to be, the caregiver doesn't want to feel like a burden to the, to the care recipient. So, you know, they don't want to worry their loved one. So there can be a lot that they're walking around harboring. So it is extremely important for caregivers to recognize the importance of reaching out for support when they're feeling like they could use it. And sometimes even before you feel like you could use it. If, if, you're, if you hear of a cancer caregiver's support program going on in your community or see something like that, some other type of setting that, that seems like you know, that caught your eye, you know, ask yourself, why, why did this catch my eye? You know, could this be useful for me right now? Or could this be useful for me in the future? And I'll just go, you know, just to see a lot of people fear that they don't want to go to something like that because they don't want to hear stories that, you know, that might be scary. Like my future might be like this and I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear about this, but they might find that Attending it is it really helps them address what those fears are of them and, and it's a safe opportunity to share some of their own experiences and, and fears and receive support from others and ask questions, right? Kind of articulate those things that are that are really that they you know, might not feel comfortable articulating to their loved one. But I also think it's important that to note that we're mostly talking about the negative mental health effects of caregiving, there can be hugely positive effects on one's mental health from caregiving. And I imagine both of you could articulate that um, from your own experiences. And I hear so often how it has strengthened relationships and really brought people closer together. And it is perhaps also internally given them, you know, they feel like they have done something that has provided, you know, a great sense of purpose for them and and they feel very good about themselves. 
No, that's such a great point. I mean, and I, like you said, I think it's it's easy to kind of think, you know, cancer and negative effects on someone and those around them. But you're you're a hundred percent correct in that when my grandmother was diagnosed and the impact, of course, of course, we would have preferred not to have that diagnosis, right? But I mean, it was something that grew. I mean, our family was always close, but we got even closer and. You know the relationship between my grandmother and my mom got even closer. So it was something that definitely led to an outcome where you wish that wasn't the thing that did it, but it was. Right. And, you know the outcome was beautiful. Thank God. Oh, it is beautiful, right? Just just hearing that, right? That is that is an amazing experience. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Amsalem, for speaking with us today about the role of caregiving and how important that role truly is, and for sharing how this role may be challenging however uniquely rewarding. Thank you for all you do for your patients and caregivers as well. For those who would like to learn more about Dr. Amsalem's work, please visit www.smarthealthpsych.com and that is www.smarthealthpsych.com. Thank you so much for having me today. It was a pleasure, and this is such an important topic and such an important month. Thanks for listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We can be found on iTunes and other great podcatchers. You can subscribe at www.thebloodline.org. Be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous podcasts. Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Keep up with LLS by following us on Twitter at LLSUSA and Facebook at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Until next time.